Hello and welcome to the Mindful Muslim podcast where this time I spoke to Lauren Greaves. Uh, we spoke about her experience with diabetes and bulimia as well as her transplant journey. Um, do make sure to listen. Lauren, Lauren Greaves. So, <laughs> thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome. Um, tell us about yourself. Obviously, we know each other a little bit from mm-hmm. back in secondary school. Yes. Um, but introduce yourself to our audience. Who are you? <sighs> Start with your name. I'm Lauren Greaves. Um, I'm 25. <laughs> what else? I'm pretty boring. No, I think you'll find your. I just have a lot of stuff, life stuff going on. Yeah. Um, I was a healthcare assistant, training to do my nursing, but I had to stop. What year was this? Um, this was last year actually. Um, had to stop because I got unwell, Hmm. and since then I've just been working on getting. Better. Back to good health. Mm, mm. Um, was that a sudden thing? Um, well, I've had diabetes since I was 10. So you were diagnosed when you were 10? 10, yeah. Um, bad diabetes control mm. has caused a lot of problems. I see. So what happened? Do you remember that initial diagnosis? Do you remember going? Oh, yeah. Um, it was a summer holiday. Mm. And I was just drinking and peeing like crazy. Mm. And my nana was like, you're drinking and peeing way too much. Mm. And I was really active. I was fat, but I was active. You were not fat. I was fat. fat. And I got really tired. I didn't want to do anything. Okay. So those kind of symptoms were there? Yeah. My aunt's a nurse. So I went to her house. She took my blood sugar. And it was 26. And it's supposed to be in between four and seven. Four and seven. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she was like, yeah, this is too high. Mm. So we went to St. George's. Mm. She called my mum. I was waiting for about an hour. Yeah. They tried to do a blood test on me, but they couldn't get any blood. So they just took like another like finger prick. Yeah. And my blood sugar went up to 31. Oh my gosh. And they were like, do you feel okay? You should be in a coma. And I'm like, yeah, I feel fine. Can I go home now? Oh. And they were like, no. So they admitted me to a children's ward. Um, yeah. The doctor came in and was like, I don't usually do this without the full test, but you've got diabetes. And I just remember, okay, what's diabetes? You haven't heard of no, it, No, my mum was crying. I was like, oh, am I dying? Like, why are you crying? I was 10. That's hard for you, very hard. Yeah, and they were like... This means injections for the rest of your life. Mm. At that time, diabetes wasn't, like in children, wasn't really like established. So the regimen was very strict, like Mm. two injections a day, Mm -hmm. chest your blood sugar every two hours. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you have toast, this is scraping of butter on your toast, cornflakes. Who eats cornflakes? They are the nastiest cereal I've ever had. Um, the diet was just very, it was too strict. So those are some of the things that you 
could have, yeah. what were the things that you couldn't <clears throat> eat? Um, things high in sugar. Mm. You're not allowed a lot of fruit because fruit have natural sugars in mm. it. Mm. Um, mm. Like fizzy drink would have to be like diet or whatever. Um, cordial, like squash, yeah. no added sugar. Yeah. So yeah. I remember coming home from the hospital and my kitchen looked completely different. Like wow. there was no jam. If I had jam, it was no added sugar. Have you had no added, no added sugar jam? Oh my God. Haven't had the privilege. Don't. <laughs> it's disgusting. Oh no. But yeah, just my diet completely changed and it was very strict. So some of the things you couldn't have mm-hmm. were things that contained even natural sugars, sugars in things it, yeah. high in sugars. Mm-hmm. And then what happened after that? So how did your mum <clears throat> deal with it, your family? I think at that time, um, my mum took control of like what I ate, yes. the insulin. Yes. Okay, Lauren, it's time to take your she insulin She managed out. it yeah. and helped you, of course. And then I left for secondary school. Mm. And yeah. And I should have been taking my insulin. I wasn't. Mm. And I should have been checking my blood sugar in school. I wasn't. I was eating whatever I wanted. Mm. Um, like my school bag was always full of rubbish, donuts, really, crisp croissants. Like it was. I just didn't care because I was like, why well, do I have to deal with this? Mm. I mean, how old was we? Like twelve. These are the last things I, the last oh thing I should mind. be worrying about. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And then as I got older, it just got worse. So they changed my um, my insulin. So it was taking four injections a day now instead of two. Oh gosh. Which it gave me more flexibility. But was that still during secondary school? Yeah. Okay. Um. So this must have been when I was maybe like fourteen, mm-hmm. fifteen. They changed it. Mm-hmm. So I should have been taking insulin at school. I'd leave my pen at home. I just didn't care. Mm. I didn't care enough. Do you think any of that was social pressure or friends? Or do you think I don't think... I think at that time I just wanted to be like everyone else. Like yeah, no one else had to do, do. it. Um, I was always worrying about it. Mm. Um, I just... Did you think that maybe people would just see you differently? Yeah, like, I didn't want to be pitied. Like, mm. obviously the teachers knew, and they'd be like, Lauren, are you okay? And, mm. um, but not not really many friends knew. No, well, all my, I think all my friends knew, but okay. it's not something I really spoke about. Mm. So I just think people kind of just like, oh, she's most really taking it, or she's gone to the, the toilet yes. to take it. I never liked to do it in front of people. People would ask, so oh, can I see? Mm. And I'm like, I'm not a circus clown. Mm. But I'd do it. I'd be like, yeah. Oh, doesn't it hurt? No. Mm. Oh, I can never do that. Well, I'm like, well, you know what? I have to because if I don't, <laughs> make myself really ill. Mm. Mm. And I didn't. And I got a chest infection. And this is when we were doing our mock exams. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I got a chest infection. And I still came to school to complete my mock exams. Yeah. And then Friday... I got home and I was just out of it. Mm. Like, I woke up on a Saturday. I started vomiting blood. Mm. I was just really, really unwell. I got to the um, hospital and they <clears throat> asked my parents if they wanted to give me my last rites because they didn't think I was going to make it. Oh, my 
And I think at that point, I was like, no, like, you really need, like, you just made it by the skin of your teeth. Like, you really need to... Pull up your socks yeah. and take... Take better care of yeah, yeah. better care of yourself. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I did for a while, mm-hmm. um, and then came back to school. Yeah. We did our exams. Yeah. And obviously, it was like the last coming up to the last couple of months of school. Mm, mm, mm. Um, and someone I thought was my friend was like, "Oh, Lauren, you're really big, like." You're quite chunky, aren't you? And I'd already, in the back of my mind, been battling with, like, how I felt about myself. Yes. Like, my weight and... I was, I was putting Those on weight. Those thoughts were yeah, kind of already, already there. there. I didn't like the way I looked. I was just like, oh, Like, at that point, I was like... I felt disgusting. And then she said that, and I was just like... Like, it's the last thing I wanted to hear... And I think two days after that was the first time I made myself sick and I was at school. It wasn't something I did consistently. Mm-hmm. It was just something I did if I felt bloated or... Okay. And then things kind of just mm. expanded from mm. that point. Mm. How do you think your diabetes, like impacted your mental health um I just didn't want to be that girl with diabetes Mm. and I didn't want to be sick or classes like Mm. different I just Mm. wanted to be like everyone else did you know any friends I didn't know anybody mm, that that had the same as far as I was concerned diabetes was like old person's illness Mm. and I didn't even know what bulimia was yeah until I got to about maybe 17 18 yeah and then I was like oh okay and then it was just something I used something I used to do but I could hide it really well yeah and then I got to college Mm -hmm. and my teacher was like, Lauren, you're really, you look really thin. And I just started crying. Because, like, oh, the cat's out of the bag, everyone knows now. So at secondary school, mm-hmm. was anybody aware? No. Not that I know of. And it was that comment that triggered? Yeah. It was something that was always there. Yes. But it's that comment that... Tipped that, you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I associated being... fat with bad things happening Mm. so in my head if I'm not fat bad things won't happen and that's what an eating disorder does it's all in your head Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the voices the how you feel about yourself you could tell me till you're blue in your face Lauren like there's nothing wrong with you Mm. but I look in the mirror and see something completely different and that's that's what it is so at 17, 18 in college, mm-hmm. you, like, were aware mm-hmm. that you had bulimia? Mm-hmm. Or was it that um, teacher that you mentioned? I, that I was aware at the knew. time that this is what I was doing because okay. I kind of researched it. I was like, what is, like, why mm-hmm. am I doing this? What is this? Okay. So Google, <laughs> Google helped, yeah. but um, 
I wouldn't tell anybody that. And, mm. um, yeah, it's just something I did, and like, obviously I started working, mm. and I spend most of my money on buying food mm. to feed these binges. Mm. And I ask my dad for money, and he'll be like, Lauren, you've just been paid. Oh, yeah, I had to buy this, I had to buy that. I was circling the area for different shops to shop in, so no one would be like, oh... She's here Why again. she's here all the time. Yeah. But I worked in Asda. Mm. So I'd leave work and buy stuff and then there'd be a Sainsbury's on my way home and I'd go there. I'd hide my food in the wardrobe. I'd wait till my mum was asleep and binge out. So no one in your family knew about mm -mm. it? You, when you mentioned before about when you were 14 and you were in hospital and you were like, that was a bit of a turning point. Like I realised... Mm -hmm. I have diabetes, I mm -hmm. need to start taking care of myself. Mm -hmm. Was Did a similar thing happen with bulimia? Was there a point? Um, that I needed to start taking care of myself? Yeah. Um, after my ex-boyfriend was murdered, I am... Um, Sorry to hear that. It's all right. I am... Um, I stopped going to treatment because I had already been in treatment and then I was like, all right, I think I'm better now. Okay. I started trying to do my nursing. Mm -hmm. And then he was killed and I just spiralled out of control again. And the nurse from the hospital came to my house and was like, we're really worried about you. We, mm. haven't, we haven't heard from you. Mm. Um, and then I decided, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it properly. And I'm going to do it for myself. Because the first time I did it, I didn't do it for me. I did it for everyone else because they wanted me to get better. But yes. I didn't want to because I, was, I wasn't taking it seriously. I was still binging and purging. and But the second time, I definitely did it for myself. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know how much you want to share about mm -hmm. your boyfriend, but mm -hmm. if there's anything that you want to tell us about, um, I, I didn't know that. So on the 18th of September, it'll be six years. Mm -hmm. um, I just got a phone call from my friend and was like, I've heard Carl's got shot. And I was like, um, can you find out for sure? And then let me know. And I put the phone down. Mm. So I thought it was a joke. And she called me again and was like, no, like it's happened. And then his mum called me. and was like, Lauren, what's happened to my son? And I was like, I don't know. And I went there to where it happened and... He was gone. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm happy that we were, we were still friends and we had, I had seen him the Friday before it happened. Okay. And I feel like if I hadn't, it would have hit me a harder. little bit harder. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I'd seen him and it kind of taught me that life is really short and you can't hold grudges and you can't, can't be angry mm. and if you have a problem with someone you just have to you have to say it and if you have problems yourself you have to reach out and absolutely and get help and mm. and anyone like if my friends are suffering with depression or whatever it is like mm -hmm. no matter what I'm going through I'm here to listen because at that time all I wanted was someone to listen to what I was dealing with 
But how can anyone know if you don't say anything? Absolutely. And that's what it is. Because you can hide things with a smile and mm. say that you're okay yes. and you're not. It's easy to do. I did it for a long time. So it's just making people feel comfortable enough to say, you know what, I'm suffering. Yeah. yeah. And I need help. How, I'm trying to, I want to ask about what kind of support you actually had. So I'm sure your family were um, Once they knew, they were a big support. Yeah. But um, before that, all I had was me. Yeah. Because I didn't say anything. Mm. My mum would ask, like, Lauren, you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine, just tired. Mm. But I wasn't tired. I was suffering really badly. And I just wanted to talk. And sometimes it's not easy to, like, go to your GP and mm. um, them to sort out, like, counselling and stuff for you. Like, the waiting lists are really long. So a lot of people do just suffer in silence. And I was just suffering in silence. And I was using... Polymia is my coping mechanism. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like anything, anytime anything bad happened, yeah. it was bulimia that I turned to. To cope. To cope. And for a long time, that, that was my crutch. Like I used that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then when I went to treatment and it, I was slowly breaking away from it, I found it really hard because I was like, how am I going to cope now? Like, what am I going to use? And that's when I started writing. We will go into that. Mm -hmm. What kind of things did you do in treatment? Um, so that you found helped you? <clears throat> You'd go from eight till four. Mm -hmm. A lot of it was like making meal plans. Mm. Um, you'd have breakfast, snack, lunch, snack. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, and then you'd leave. Um, there was group sessions, mm -hmm. there was psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. You'd go on trips just to, like, be in society yeah. normally, but with other people that were just like you. Mm. Um, you'd have time, so you'd do a timesheet and you'd be able to talk to one of the staff members about how you were feeling that day. You'd have weigh-ins. Um, how long did you go to these sessions? Um... I did treatment the second time, maybe about five, six months before I was like, I'm leaving now. Mm -hmm. They really wanted me to stay and do the full program, but I was like, I can't do it anymore. Okay. I'm ready to go. A lot, there's a lot of girls that are there. Mm-hmm. But I definitely, I felt like was suffering more than me. Mm -hmm. And I felt like it was rubbing off on me a little bit. And I was like, this isn't good for me. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of things they were doing that I was seeing. And I was like, they were like triggers a little bit. Okay. And at that point, I was like soaring ahead of them. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't want to fall back. Yes. So I was like, I made the conscious decision, do you know what, it's time for me to go. And someone else can use my space because I'm ready. And I haven't had a relapse since. So good to hear that. So, yeah. Um, so tell me more about what it was like when you left treatment and what that it was, transition was It like. was hard because I was like, although they were, <clears throat> I felt like 
they were suffering a bit more than me. Mm-hmm. Everyone knew how it felt to have an eating disorder. Mm. And everyone knew it wasn't as easy as just saying, oh, just eat. It was deeper yes. than that. It's more than food. Yes. And I think that's what people get like confused with this not just oh because I want to be skinny right what were some of the thoughts that you had to challenge for you to because it sounds like when you said it's all in your head what are the things that you had to kind of almost unlearn for you to get better listening to that voice that was telling you you're not good enough or stop eating that or you're fat or it was listening to that did you find that was constant I feel like it knew when to come, like when I was with my friends, comparing myself to them, Mm. or if I was out having a meal, Mm -hmm. don't get that. Or, okay, now you've eaten that, you need to go make yourself sick. It it wasn't there all the time. Mm -hmm. Or when I'd be getting ready, looking in the mirror, don't wear that. Or, it was just, it would come, it's just like it knew when I didn't hurt, want it, to yeah, hurt you yeah. Or make an impact. Yeah. And I think that was the hardest part of unlearning. Mm. And also, I think I used to use my insulin mm-hmm. to make my blood sugar drop really low so I could eat more food. Because when your blood sugar mm. drops low, it's like, yeah, I need, I need the carbs, I need the energy. Yeah. And I'd make my blood sugar go low on purpose so I could binge more. And I f- then I'd feel more satisfied once I've had my purge. And that, it was hard learning to take the right amount of insulin and mm. eat the right amount of food. Mm. What do you think, part, like <coughs> any bits of treatment that kind of stick with you that really helped? Or um, was it like the talking therapies? or Definitely writing down the feelings and sitting with mm. how I felt at that time rather mm-hmm, than mm-hmm. this is how I feel I'm going to binge because the binging and purging only lasts so long and then you're back to feeling like rubbish again okay so it was sitting with how I felt okay today mm. I'm like I feel sad allow yourself to be sad right today I feel angry allow yourself to be angry today I feel happy you, you deserve to be happy allow yourself to be happy mm. It's like <clears throat> sitting with the emotion and just like you're it's a, you're allowed to be sad, you're allowed to be happy. Don't suppress how you feel mm-hmm. because everyone expects you to have a smile on your face all the time. Mm-hmm. Because life doesn't work like that. There's gonna be days where, yeah, I feel pretty rubbish. Or no, I feel really good today. Mm-hmm. And it was sitting with that and accepting the emotions yeah, rather than trying to fight find, them. Yeah, and mm-hmm. then writing down how I felt and looking back on it another day where I felt good. Okay. But always writing, mm-hmm. not just writing when I felt sad, mm-hmm. but writing when I felt happy as well. Mm-hmm. And that, that helped a lot. Mm. And also having counselling, like speaking to someone who didn't know me helped because you don't know me. Right. I didn't feel like they were judging me. Okay. And I wouldn't have to see them all the time. Okay. It was just like maybe once a week. And then after it was done... You'd say goodbye. Goodbye, and then that's it. Mm. And it was like offloading how I felt onto someone else. 
that wasn't like a family member or a friend. Yeah, probably made yeah. a huge difference. Um, tell me more about your writing. <laughs> um, How did you get into it first? It was something I learned at... Um, in treatment, they were just like a lot of people find it helpful, mm. just writing down how they feel. Mm. And I was like, no, I don't want to do that. Mm. I was very closed off to the idea at first, like just being in treatment altogether. Mm. I was just going because everyone expected me to go. Yeah. <clears throat> so the first time I did treatment, I was just there. Yeah. I was lying all the time. Like, Lauren, did you follow your meal plan? Yeah. I didn't follow anything on that meal plan. Mm. I'd go home and rip it up. I just, I wasn't, at that time, I didn't want to let the eating disorder go. Right. And then the second time, it's because I wanted it. I wanted to be better. I wanted to get my life back on track. Um, I was tired of being sick and tired all the time. Mm -hmm. um, being depressed. I, I just didn't want it anymore. Mm -hmm. Um... And I guess that realisation that it's up to you to change. Change, yeah. And I think a lot of people find it so hard. Like, some people can't pull themselves out of that dark hole. Yeah. And then they're just stuck in it all the time. And it's really draining. Mm -hmm. So I was lucky enough to be able to get help. Some people aren't, mm -hmm. aren't that lucky. Mm -hmm. It's so hard getting help now with any mental illness and the eating disorder list is crazy long um and this one illness that they they help you by priority like the worse you are the quicker they need to help you because you can die because you're starving your body and then your body starts eating at itself and then your organs start shutting down and then there's no coming back from it but writing doesn't work for everybody, mm. but it worked. It worked for me. Mm -hmm. And when I had finished writing, mm -hmm. um, either I kept kept the journal or mm. threw it away because mm -hmm. I didn't want to. I didn't want to look back. Mm -hmm. So I have one journal left. The mm -hmm. others I I just get rid of. But I I wish I kept them now. Do you? Yeah. Just to look back and see how far I've come. Definitely. Because, I mean, things are bad now. Like, not bad, but things have gotten worse now. But mm. um, I've come a long way. Yeah, so. What would be your advice to someone that is has had a recent diagnosis of either diabetes or bulimia or both? Um... If you've had a recent diagnosis of diabetes, mm -hmm. take your insulin. Just take your insulin. Take care of yourself because diabetes is a, like a quiet killer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You can't see it. Mm -hmm. It does everything from the inside. Um, not taking my insulin, having a bad diet, <clears throat> not checking my blood sugars. I now have kidney failure. And I need a transplant. No one wants to... It could be worse, but no one wants to deal with that at 25. Where, when did you find out about um, that? I needed a transplant. Yes. Um, last year. 
I'm not even on the list yet because it's such a long workup. Mm-hmm. You have to be like fit and healthy in order for them to put you on the list. Okay. Um, your heart has to be strong enough. Um, they've got to check your kidney for the right tissue. Yep. And because I'm having a double transplant, I'm having a kidney and pancreas transplant, I've got to wait for someone else who's my match to pass away. Right. So, and there's not a lot of donors in the Asian or black community. So it's, it's a long process, but technically it's my fault because I didn't take care of myself when I should have. So now I'm kind of paying for it. And I'd say to anyone who's got diabetes... The best thing to do is just to take care of yourself. Mm, mm. It's not that bad. Um, it is bad, but it's manageable. Mm. And you'll live a long, healthy life if you just take the insulin, right. have a good diet, mm. go to your appointments. If you're struggling, speak to your consultant, speak to whoever. There's diabetic nurses that are willing to help if you need it. Yeah. Yeah, and someone with bulimia is such a such a hard hard illness to deal with. Um, don't feel ashamed if you need the help and you want the help. Ask for it mm. because another that's an, another silent killer. You think from the outside I look okay, but the inside you're just ruining your body. Um, and a lot of people who have bulimia, it turns to anorexia. Okay. And it's, it's hard to come back when it gets too far. Mm-hmm. Like, my weight dropped to 40 kilograms. And gaining the weight was hard. Like, it was hard. But I felt better for it. I wasn't so tired. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I wasn't so irritable. Mm -hmm. I became really, like, intolerant. I I couldn't tolerate anything. I didn't want to speak to anybody. Um, And as I gained the weight, I felt better. Mm -hmm. I didn't like that I felt better. Mm -hmm. Because at the time, I was like, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to feel better. And that's my mind telling me that. But I did deserve it. Absolutely, and you still, you, those thoughts were there and you just had to keep fighting. Fighting, and I think the hardest part is fighting the thoughts yes. of how you feel about yourself. Because you can have all the reassurance in the world. But it, it's up to you. But it's down to how you feel about right. yourself and that's the hardest part. Yeah, I think loving yourself recently has been something that we've looked at. Yes. And I know other organisations have too. Yes. Self-love. Sounds so cliche, but self-love mm. is the best love. Mm. Like, if you love yourself first <clears throat> and you tell yourself you deserve all the good things in the world, mm-hmm. you feel better for it. You can't expect someone else to love you the way you want to be loved if you don't have that for yourself. And you'll always be craving reassurance and acceptance from other people. You're waiting for them to fill your cup. Yeah, if you don't accept and love yourself and... That's the kind of journey I've been on for a little while. Like, mm-hmm. you know what? You're not too bad. Not too bad. And you, you've <laughs> you've done well. And the the journey has been long, but it's been worth it. Mm-hmm. And there's so much more 
that I have to do and how far I need to go, but it's a journey I'm happy to be on. So, yeah, right now I can't, I can't complain. Um, I feel like with an eating disorder, it's always going to be there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I was going to ask you about those thoughts because I would have, I'm inclined to say that they still now and again appear. Mm -hmm. It's not something that just completely goes. And if they do come back, it's kind of like accepting it almost. Okay, it's a part of me, but Mm -hmm. I'm not going to let it affect me or overcome me or make me want to harm myself back to what I was doing before Mm. they come up sometimes especially like now especially when I get really stressed out Mm -hmm. with this situation Mm -hmm. the best not the best thing but what I would want to do is go back to my that would be like your easy option yeah but I find myself just sitting with, okay, I'm having a bad day today. It'll pass. It will pass. It's not mm. going to be here forever. And the next day, I'm fine. Like, I've had my bad day. I've had my cry. I'm okay now. Are you surprised ever the next day when you're, like, feeling yeah, okay? Yeah, I'm just like, what was going, like, mm. what was going on? Like, Thank God I just kind of yeah, that didn't, I didn't do anything I rash. didn't, yeah, exactly, because I feel like that would affect my mental health. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, oh, what have you done? And you just take four steps back. Because I'm like, what have you done? And I'd want to do it again. But you've you've learned so much. Yeah, like, over the know, years I've yeah. learned like so much about myself mm. um, and how to handle mm, and how to be more rational. Mm. Or sometimes it's just like, okay, I'm just gonna do it, and that's what it was like. I'd not want to do it, but it was the easy option at the time. This it helped. It helps for a little while. Yes. And then I'm still back to feeling like, like rubbish after I've done it. It it's just sounds worse. like a cycle. You're yeah, going. like it was just going around in circles. But now mm-hmm. I'm here. I've overcome it. It's still there. Mm. But I'd say it's not active. Okay. And as long as it... It stays not active, then we're good. But for a lot of people, it's not. It's not that easy, and people suffer for a long, long time without without any help. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned writing is one of the ways mm-hmm. that you, yeah, that helps you. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else that you do in terms of self care or um, just taking time out for me, like doing things that. I like to do like spending time with my family or mm. going out with my friends mm. like when you have an eating disorder you want to seclude yourself you don't you don't want to talk to anyone you don't want to be around anyone you mm-hmm. just want it to be you and your eating disorder mm. and you don't want to go out and then people ask questions and um I started crocheting oh like an old lady yeah no it's interesting I love it but it's really like... How did you get into that? My nan taught me. It's just <laughs> something I did with... Something to do with my hands. It kept me occupied. Um, I can imagine it's therapeutic. Yeah. And like how the motions are yeah. repetitive. And you're, con- you're concentrating on that and making sure yes. you have your stitch Your right. mind's not So your mind's wandering. not wandering off to anything else. Nice. Um, have you made anything nice? I made a scarf. Yes. 
Well, it's come in handy. But yeah, it was just mainly writing. I felt like getting my emotions out on paper, like that made a big difference. Yeah, like writing how I would talk, like how I was just talking to myself mm-hmm. and writing it down. It made a big difference. So, <coughs> were you actually writing? This is the thought, like the thought that you were having. Yeah, like so. Like, right now, mm-hmm. the only thing I want to do is go to the kitchen, get my binge food mm. and purge. I feel like rubbish today and the voice in my head is telling me that I'm not good enough. It was just literally writing down what I was thinking at that time. There, okay. Um, and then I looked back on it the next day and I was like, why would you? Wow. Like, trying to pinpoint why. What had happened before that to make me feel that way? So pinpointing what it actually was mm-hmm. that was making me feel like that helped as well because sometimes it would be I was just being irrational. Okay. Like my mum didn't cook what I wanted. Mm. Or there was too much salt. Or someone told me they was going to do something and they haven't done it. Mm. And instead of me saying, look, you said you was going to do this. I'd be beating myself up like, what did I do why they didn't want to do it for me? Everything was my fault. And I was just being really irrational because it wasn't my fault. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or my best friend said she'd call me back and she didn't. We're busy. What did I do why she didn't want to call me back? Mm. They were irrational thoughts. Yeah. Um, and I know that now, but then I did something why this person did that or why this person said that or why did I go to hug my mum and she didn't want to hug me? Why doesn't she like me? Mm-hmm. It was just, it was ridiculous. But I was beating myself up all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think therapy helped me learn, like, this is all in your head. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. no one hates you. It's because I was hating myself that I felt like everyone around me who said that they loved me hated me, and it wasn't true. But that's just how I felt. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Tell me more about your treatment in terms of... So we know initially diabetes, but then mm-hmm. bulimia comes along. Mm-hmm. What was your care like at that point? I mean, was it integrated? I'm just interested. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, um, so I had a specific nurse. She was a diabetic nurse that would come in okay. and help. And she also had diabetes herself, okay. which made a difference mm. because there was nothing more. I hate, like, I hated that. Oh, I understand how you feel. Well, you don't understand because you don't have it. But she was like, no, Lauren, I understand how you feel because I've got diabetes too. And we we had a a really good relationship based on, yeah, she knows what it's like. And she helped me a lot. Like they, so it got to the point where in order for them to actually believe that I was taking my insulin and Mm -hmm, stuff, mm -hmm. I'd have to take a picture of myself taking my insulin. And that of that used to grind my gears because I'm like, I'm not I'm not eleven. But if I wasn't doing that, I most really wouldn't have taken it. 
So it helped and I got into a routine and then I was just like, you know what, it's not that bad and yeah. I just Yeah. I'll just take it and I had to log what my blood sugars were and yeah. that helped because then she was like, Okay, maybe we've reduced a bit of your insulin because you're taking too much and you're having more low blood sugars, mm. which is making me wanna binge now because mm. my blood sugar was low so Rather than having the two biscuits and the Lucasade that I wanted, mm. I'd want six or seven or eight biscuits and crisp and cake. and So <clears throat> them integrating the two helped a lot. And it just helped me learn a bit more about how my body was, what I was doing to my body yeah. when I wasn't taking my insulin and when I was... Binging and purging. Yeah, I think um, there's this thing about um, understanding how, like, our physical illnesses. Okay, with diabetes, mm -hmm. as you said, it's not very visible, mm -hmm. but it is a physical illness. Mm -hmm. How in our healthcare system, it seems mm -hmm. to be very separated. Mm -hmm. Like the mind and the body mm -hmm. are separated, and and you know you'll have treatment in different parts of the hospital so mm -hmm. that's why I was wondering you know whether you thought that you were looked you were treated as a whole person like mm -hmm. you were treated holistically yeah. so you had your kind of therapies for bulimia but then mm -hmm. there was also this support that you had from the nurse mm -hmm. with your diabetes yeah and, like if that was separated I can imagine it probably would have it been it would have been a bit harder because it was like looking after two separate people when really they it's both went you. hand in hand. Um, when I first got diabetes, it was just... The care was very different. Mm. Like, now, you can have diabetes and you can go and see a psychologist. Like, they have the two together now. Yeah. As yeah. when I first got diagnosed, there was none of that offering of, do you need to see a counsellor or anything right. like that. But now things have changed. There's more people... They're aware that actually it's yeah, a risk factor yeah. for mental health problems. Yeah, a lot of people um, have that help now. and I mean, it would have been nice if it was there mm. when I had first got it. But I'm happy to know that there's other people that can benefit from... Now. You know, like different research and... Definitely. Yeah, so... What's your hope for the future in terms <coughs> of diabetes? Oh, that they'd find a cure for it. But realistically once you're obviously you have type one and type two diabetes mm -hmm. i mean type two you can cure it with diet type one if taking you're, your insulin yeah properly. do you know with type two you don't actually have to take insulin mm. it's tablets right. um but if you don't follow the diet and take the tablets then you have to take insulin okay whereas type one your pancreas stops working Okay, so this is and the it doesn't, one that you... Yeah, have. and it doesn't produce insulin at all. Okay. And you need insulin. It's a hormone. It helps break down the glucose and whatever. In your blood, yeah. Um, so, I mean, finding a cure would be great. I mean, there's so different... So many different, like, treatments. So they have, obviously, your insulin pen or mm. you have the pump. Mm -hmm. Um... I think, yeah, just finding a cure because so many people are getting it and yeah. kids are getting it as young as three or they're born with it. And, I mean, the last thing a three-year-old should be worrying about is taking, having to take injections. 
it's just too young. I think what you said before, which really like struck me, is the fact that for anybody who does have a diagnosis or has you know someone that they know that that um, has diabetes, is that it is manageable mm. to to an extent. Yeah, I mean. It is a manageable illness. Mm-hmm. I mean, there will be times where it's out of your control. Like, you'll check your blood sugar. You've done everything mm-hmm. correctly, but your blood sugar will still be high. And you're like, but why? Mm-hmm. Because you've got an infection going on or you're stressed. Like, there's so m- your periods can make your blood sugars go high. Mm-hmm. There's so many different things that affect your blood sugars, which affect how you feel. Um, <clears throat> but... I mean, the only thing I can say is if you're struggling, say that you're struggling. Yes. Like, look, I'm finding it hard. I'm not taking my insulin. Like, what can I do? Yeah, and not leaving it And not leaving it too long. And I think that's where a lot of young people go wrong. Okay. By not saying what's going going on. Because a lot of people are, don't want to admit that they're struggling. Yeah. And we or think we're in this culture where everybody mm-hmm. looks needs to look happy all the time mm-hmm. and is always posting their good, happy good times. So and not the bad stuff. No. And that's... The pressure. Mm-hmm. And you see a lot of that on social media and mm-hmm. people comparing themselves to these influencers that seem to have it all together Mm. but no one's showing you the bad days and if they're suffering whatever suffering they're going through like you don't see that so that makes other people think i don't have my life together Mm. i should be doing this i should be doing that i should have more money in the bank and that's where people start falling into mental health like Mm. i haven't done anything Mm. with my life And that's not the case. Yeah. I think putting things in perspective Mm -hmm. is so important. Everyone moves at different paces. Right. And we're on different journeys. Exactly. What is good for you might not be good for me. And what's good for me is not good for you. And I feel like people need to really step back and look at that. Mm. And just appreciate themselves, Mm -hmm. their life. Exactly. And not compare so exactly and I feel like we compare a lot especially I mean men will never admit that that they compare themselves to each other Mm. and I feel like a lot of men suffer in silence like before I went to treatment I didn't know that men suffered with eating disorders until I met one during your treatment? During my treatment. He was suffering a lot. But felt like he couldn't say anything because he was a man and people tell him to man up. But everyone suffers. Mm. Whether you're a man or woman, everyone suffers. <clears throat> and it's just being able to not feel ashamed and say, look, I'm suffering and I need help. And I feel like that's where a lot of people... get stuck because they don't want to admit that they're having a hard time. Yeah. In the and fear of being judged. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes it's 
maybe for your loved ones because mm-hmm. if you think they're expecting me to be such or such mm-hmm. a way it can be more difficult for you and then you don't want to be a burden on them mm-hmm. and that's another thing mm-hmm. but you have to get past all of mm-hmm. that because they're there to help and maybe like they could have gone through what you've been through and give mm-hmm. you some really good advice you don't know until you ask you don't know until mm-hmm. you try mm-hmm. <clears throat> Tell me more about what it's like being... Are you on the register? So, no, not yet. Mm -hmm. Um, I have one more scan to do Mm -hmm. with a heart doctor Mm -hmm. to see how my heart reacts under stress. Okay. Because, obviously, once you're on that operating table and they cut you open, your heart is, like, working overtime. So... As long as my heart is okay, mm-hmm. then I'll be activated on the transplant list. And then after that, it's just waiting. For a match? For a match. <clears throat> could take six to 18 months, could be longer than that. Mm-hmm. I've spoken to some people, they've been on the list for nine years. They've been on the list for four years. They've been on the list, had their transplant. The kidneys stopped working. And they're back on dialysis, back on the list again, waiting for another one. Just depends. So you're having (coughs) dialysis now. Mm -hmm. What's that like and how often do you go? Since when have you been I started, so I started doing peritoneal dialysis in August. I did that up to... Tell us what that is for us. So that's, it's like fluid... That goes into your body, mm-hmm. sucks all the toxins out, and okay. then you flush it out. Okay. But it's so used it's doing on a machine, the work of your my kidneys. kidneys. That didn't work for me very well. Mm-hmm. So I was admitted to a hospital on October the 8th of last year. Mm-hmm. I was there for six weeks. Um, I then... They, my doctor then changed me to hemodialysis, which is the dialysis through the blood. So it takes your blood out, cleans it, and pumps it back into you okay. on a machine. Okay. And that works so much better for me. Okay. I was carrying 15 kilograms of fluid in my body because I couldn't, my kidneys didn't know how to flush it out. So I was just overloaded with a lot of fluid. And that dialysis helped pull it off. So I was doing that from November. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I do that three times a week for four hours and I haven't missed a session since November because it's what's keeping me alive right now. Without it, yeah, I wouldn't be here. So, I mean, I hate it. It's very inconvenient, but it's saving my life. So, yeah, I'll continu- continue to do it for as long as I need to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I go with gritted teeth most of the time yeah. because I just don't want to go. But like I said, I can't live without it. You mentioned um, <coughs> that there aren't many people on the organ register mm-hmm. that are from black or... The Asian community. The Asian community. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that <coughs> is? Are we just not... I feel like... The <laughs> most of the people I've spoken to is because they want to go with their organs. 
as they came, they want to leave. <clears throat> but my thing is, what you say, you're all going to see when you die. What did you do? You're dead, so your heart's not pumping anymore. Your kidneys aren't flushing anything out. Your liver's not working. Your pancreas is not working. They're going to die with you. If you leave them behind, someone else can live through you for a little bit longer. Like, you can... I didn't even know, but you can even have cornea transplants. Like, they take the cornea out of your eye and put it in someone else. So someone can see a little better because you've... Donated that. You've donated that. And I just think it's such a beautiful thing. Mm. I mean... When I die, if I could, I'd leave my organs to whoever needed it. Mm -hmm. Just take them. Mm -hmm. Because they're no use to me anymore. Um, I like to know that a part of me is still here living through some person who could have lost their life because they just needed that organ that I'm not going to use anymore. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think everybody's got different views on it. Yeah, and... I mean... But that could be a legacy <coughs> that you leave. Behind. Yeah. And with the new law that's coming in that people don't actually know about, if you don't opt out... You're automatically... They're going to give your organs away anyway. And I, I think a lot of people just are very blasé about it. Like, okay, whatever. I think, if I'm not mistaken, don't quote me, but I'm sure some other parts of the world that that system's already in place. Yeah. Where it's opt out. Yeah. Because the government has already opted you in. Mm. Because I think that they... It's a lot of pressure on the it's NHS. Such a yeah. For, for transplants mm. that it's just got to a point where, okay, well, if you don't opt out and make the effort to opt out when you die, we're going to take them anyway. And that's what I'm currently trying to get people to... Just opt in, mm. give them away. Mm. So far, I have two recruits, which I'm very proud of myself for. <laughs> but it's. Do you think it's a hard gig? It is. Oh, because everyone's just like, oh, whatever. Mm. Like that, no one actually takes it seriously until it happens to you or someone you know, which is why my uncle has opted in now. Um. And some random person that follows me on Instagram. And I was like, thank you so much. And they're like, no, I've watched... <clears throat> I've watched your journey. And if I can help someone, I would. And yeah. it's just getting people to realise that you're helping someone. Like yeah. someone younger, younger than you yeah. live a better life. I love that you're raising awareness about all of this. Mm -hmm. What gave you the idea to start My Transplant Journey, which is the title of your yeah, Instagram? Yeah, yeah. Um, what gave me? I was just, when I was speaking to my learner, she was like, there's so many young people that are suffering with like kidney problems or waiting for a transplant. Yeah. St. George's, they do, like, a away weekend with all the kidney patients that go, and there's a lot of them. Mm. And she was like, there's so many people out there suffering that can relate to you, Yes, what you've been through. Um, so share it. Yeah, 
And I did the page and people started following and I was getting a lot of messages mm. like, oh, I had a kidney transplant as well. Um, and there's some, I'm like, I didn't even know that you, I know you and I didn't even know that you had kidney problems or you've had a transplant. Wow. So it was like news to me that some people, or I'm going through the same thing as you right now, how do you cope? And it's nice to have people that <clears throat> kind of understand what it's like. Like, how do you cope with your bad days? And yes. What do you do if you're not feeling well? And I literally felt the same way. And when I had the problems with my eyes, they were like, people were like, oh, it's a good thing you got help because I'm now blind in my left eye. And I wish I knew now what... I wish I knew now then because I could have helped myself. Um, but then you get like... <coughs> Some really horrible people that be like, oh, I'll give you a kidney, and they're joking, and it's just like, mm. what do you get out of doing doing that? But overall, the vast majority, the are. support and the mm. love that you get from people mm. that can relate to you is it's really nice. It's amazing. Great. Thank you so much, Lauren, for coming. You on are welcome. It's been lovely to see you again. Mm. And it's been a long time. Yes. Good luck with everything. Thank you, mate. I hope we can catch up again soon. Yes. And yeah. When you're wearing your wedding ring on the right finger. <laughs> <laughs> Stop that out of the guys. I'm not even joking. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Mindful Muslim podcast. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, SoundCloud, and all of the others. Make sure to leave us ratings as well. I hope you enjoy it. Bye.